So 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now when Ataliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But uh, Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death. And she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Ataliah, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Ataliah reigned over the land. So, going back to the top, verse 1, uh, we see uh, Ataliah. She was the mother of Ahaziah, and Ahaziah was the king of Judah, who had been killed by Jehu. Uh, if we if we turn back to chapter 9 of 2 Kings, in verse 27, it says, uh, When Ahaziah the king of Judah saw this, he fled in the direction of Beth Hagan, and Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also. And they shot him in the chariot at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblium. And he fled to Megiddo and died there. And the servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. So, we see uh, from those verses uh, the time when he was killed uh, by Jehu. Now, Ataliah was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, just kind of backing up a little bit and giving us some background here. And she was given to Jehoram, who was the king of Judah, to be his wife. We learned how this was more than likely used to build an alliance between the northern and the southern kingdoms. And Jehoram and Ataliah had a son whose name is Ahaziah, the one who was killed by Jehu. We know that Ataliah did not fall far from the parents' tree, so to speak, you know. Um, she had an evil character. She was a bad influence both on her husband and her son. And at the time when Ahaziah was killed, Ataliah it says, as we read, arose and destroyed all of the royal family. Now, the royal family that's referred to here is the family or the lineage of David, King David. Uh, when she saw that her father's, that, that is Ahab's line, was wiped out, she took it upon herself to make sure that David had no way to the throne and to really set herself up to be the queen. Now, we see uh, in this act of Ataliah is that um, this, um, this corruption of power. Power can absolutely corrupt, if not looked at as a stewardship of something greater than yourself. Now, I want to repeat that because power in and of itself is not evil. But power that is left unchecked and not looked at as a stewardship of something greater than yourself can result in some pretty awful things. You, the person not being the beneficiary of the, that power, is wickedness, but rather when it's used as an instrument to serve others. It, it is uh, something that we really need to be careful with. E did you know that each and every one of you has power, has influence? 
in some way, shape, or form. We need to understand that with that power comes uh, responsibility. Because power is especially dangerous when a person is taught to love power, to elevate self, uh, to seek it, to attain it, and keep it at any cost, even at the cost of those who, whom you are serving. Power or influence in and of itself, again, is not evil, but it must be used to serve and not be served by it. There was a time when Jesus was with his disciples and uh, James and John were requesting uh, something. They were requesting to sit at his right hand and his left hand uh, when he reigns in his glory. You, you remember that story? Jesus told them that they didn't know what they were asking for, telling them that there's uh, suffering that would come and asked them whether they would be able to bear it or not. And then he told them that in the end it wasn't up to him, but up to the Father. But we need to also just note that these were followers of Christ. They were there with him. And yet they were seeking position. They were seeking influence. And they were seeking power. Well, we know in that conversation it was overheard. The other disciples heard what was going on. And it says that they were indignant, they were angry, they were annoyed, they were frustrated with them, they were, they were peeved. And Jesus used this situation to teach them something very important. A lesson that we ought to learn and note ourselves and always keep in our minds and in our hearts. In Mark chapter 10 verse 42 it says, but it shall, well let's back up verse 42, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." And I point this out and emphasize it this evening because as Christians, we must never forget the lesson that Jesus taught his disciples in that day and, again, is teaching that very same thing to us today. There is nothing evil about power and influence in and of itself. But what is done with it either corrupts or builds up. That's what matters. Does it destroy or does it build up those it serves? Or is it self-serving at the expense of others? This woman, Ataliah, was, you could say, was drunk with lust. Um, lusting after power, position, authority. She was looking at the possibility of obtaining power and she was willing to attain it at any cost, and she did. She took the lives of many others. The lust of power can cause a person to do things that are unimaginable. Um, you, have you heard of influencers? I think that's a term that's used today because of social media, right? And this is an example of what can happen if power is not kept in check and used to serve what is good. Especially if the influencer is not moral in their person or their thinking to begin with. And so... 
you have this um, misuse of power and influence and position. And they can sway the thoughts of many people, thousands of people. This is especially harmful, I believe, when pastors or those who are serving in some capacity within the church are spewing false doctrine or a watered-down gospel, uh, they are in compromise or sin and are continuing to cast their influence and power and authority over others, shifting the way they think. Also in our world today is a threat of totalitarianism, which leads, by the way, to socialism, and which comes by way of instilling fear and then providing the solution by transferring more power to the same group that instilled the fear to begin with to gain control. It's the same thing. And I'm not talking politics here. I'm talking reality. I hope you got that because this is the, this is the very way in which, you know, even, even theologians are, are, are accused of doing this. That it's a, a psychological kind of a, a way of instilling fear in people and then, and then leading them to salvation or at least uh, the confession of their faith. And you know, I, I have to tell you that that's not something that we ever want to practice here. The manipulation of your emotions in order to get you to, to uh, uh, do something that you really don't want to do. That's why I take my time with the gospel. I want you to know exactly what it is that you're choosing to do or not to do. Not because of an, an emotional stirring or because there is fear that struck into your hearts in order to fill the seats. That, that's, that's not what the church is about. Simply want you to make decisions that are based on the truth. Listen, the people that are fearful will readily give up their freedoms in order to make be made to feel safe. Um, Christianity is no different. Our society is no different. We'll, we'll give up certain things or believe certain things in order to just feel safe. Like, tell me what I want to hear. Lead me in the direction. Tell me, tell me how it's supposed to go. And instead of just knowing yourself and then walking that truth and righteousness out in your own lives, because you choose to do that which is right. Because many choose safety or comfort over freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, right? God's always been about freedom. Individual freedom. Did you know that? Well, Ataliah, this, this woman... She killed many to gain power, and then the people were duped into thinking they, that they had no other choice but to make her their queen, and they did. And they had this wicked woman as their leader for six years. And it says in verse 2, But Jeho Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Azziah, took Joash, the son of Azziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being put to death, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid him from Ataliah, so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years hidden in the house of the Lord, while Ataliah reigned over the land. Listen, God is faithful, 
and is sovereign and will not be overcome nor his will be thwarted by Satan or anyone who opposes him. You know, Matthew 5.18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Nothing done in the Lord is obscure. It's not one thing that is done in the Lord is small. In fact, this, this woman, just this one portion of Scripture, this one act that she did, was something that will be proclaimed and will do something wonderful. This one thing that this woman did was according to God's will to preserve the royal line of David through which we know the Messiah was promised by God to come through. Ataliah had killed what she figured to be all that would oppose her in her reign. But she's not bigger than God. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing, and he is ever-present. Evil, listen, and this, this is what should give us hope. This is what would help us to persevere in the Lord. Evil will never prevail. It will never prevail. It will always be exposed for what it is and will crumble under the holiness and righteousness of God and his truth. Always. People who thoroughly plan evil always seem to think they've covered all their tracks, but it always fails. At some point, it just crumbles. Even if it's somehow covered all the days of their lives, it will be eventually uncovered one day. On the day of judgment, when they appear before God, there is no escaping that whatsoever. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his side, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And Numbers 32.23 says, Be sure your sin will find you out. You know, that's one verse that we would uh, every now and then uh, quote to our boys. Your sin will find you out. <laughs> It'll come about, and, and it does. It has a way of coming to the surface. As we see Joash, he was hidden. He was, he was a year old, right? If we do the math, he was a year old, and he was hidden for six years, and he was seven years old when he was anointed as king. But throughout those six years, notice where he was hidden and kept. In the house of the Lord. It's interesting how this little boy grew up being surrounded by ministers of the Lord. And, and they never reported him. And it is very likely that these, these ministers, these priests, and these people who were serving the Lord had a little helper to help them. I, I can just, because there's no way that this little kid was just there, like what would they just kept him in one room. There's, there's no way they... He was there in the house of the Lord, and he was there surrounded with, with others who were serving the Lord. What an example. What, what a thing to be surrounded with. What an environment. It makes me think of Samuel as Hannah committed him to the Lord's service. In fact, it was a priest by the name of Jehoiada that 
will plan, initiate, and complete the transfer of power from Ataliah to the rightful king of Judah, that is Joash, this little boy, this little seven-year-old. Let's continue verse 4. says, But in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son and he commanded them, This is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sir, and a third at the gate behind the guards shall guard the place, the the palace. And the two divisions of you which come on duty in, in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hand. And whoever approaches the ranks to be is to be put to death. Uh, but uh, be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. So this priest, Jehoiada, he uh, brought together the temple guards to institute uh, this, basically it was a counter-revolution that would eventually lead not only to the reign of Joash, but also to a uh, religious revival that would happen within uh, Judah, within Jerusalem, with the people of God. Now, Jehoiada was a godly man who, who used the temple guards to overthrow Ataliah. The question is, at this point, is, is this an act of treason? The answer is yes, right? Any time that there is a betrayal of the king, because this was a betrayal of the king, it is treasonous. But it was an act of betraying the evil and unrighteous tyrannical ruler whose reign was deposed by God and according to his will. So Jehoiada brings together the captains of the temple guards. Remember, remember where Joash was raised. Up to this point, he's seven years old. He was in the house of the Lord. Jehoiada knew exactly who he was. And it's time to bring the captains of the temple guards into the house of the Lord. And then he he made them basically give an oath or swear that they wouldn't say a word to anyone about what he was about to say to them and who he was about to show them. What what a what a buildup. This oath having been made before God, remember he brought him into the house of the Lord. This this oath having been made before God could not be broken unless these men were really not godly men. Men who didn't honor, didn't fear God, but yet they were godly men who feared God. This apostate state of the nation of the people of God, it wasn't everyone. There was still a remnant. They knew that they had made a vow before the Lord. They had promised God. They had promised Jehoiada that they would follow through with everything that he was telling them. The temple guard and their captains were shown Joash and were told what was to be done. Break up into thirds, guarding the king's house, that is the palace, And then two-thirds will guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king. It says, 
Uh, you shall surround the king, each with his weapons in hand. Whoever comes near was to be put to death, and the king was to be watched and guarded at all times. This priest, this is the priest, Jehoiada, he had the discernment that the king needed to be guarded because the enemy is evil and ruthless and would be after his life immediately. You know, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he does not rest. That's why we need to always be sober-minded. We need to always be watchful. Because we know what he seeks to do is to steal and kill and destroy. He desires to take you down. It doesn't matter how long it takes him. He will keep at it until you put your guard down and then he'll strike. Well, this priest had the discernment to make sure that this young boy, this, this young boy that was in line for the throne that was about to be anointed as king was guarded well. He said the coup was to take place on the Sabbath during the changing of the guard in order to maximize the military presence. This is all strategy, by the way. Remember this, when Jesus said to his disciples, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Be as cunning as a serpent, but be as harmless as a dove. You know, the one thing that we need to understand is, as believers, as Christians, is that we need to be cunning, we need to be wise, we need to figure out how to do things in order to leverage the favor that we have, the resources that we have, the legal resources that we have to fulfill and do things that are right in the eyes of God. This, this man, this is what he was doing. I, I'm encouraged by Jehoiada as I see this priest and how he acted. He was strategizing. He was doing this to maximize the military presence, to leverage it to achieve the goal of transferring power without incident, but be supremely ready if there is resistance. He wanted to make sure it was all laid out, all done in a way that assured the right outcome. Verse 9, the captain did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, from the south side of the house to the north side of the house, around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, long live the king. Oh, what a glorious day. What an awesome moment. It says the captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. The temple guards were armed with the weapons from the house of the Lord that belonged to King David. It was at this moment they were preparing. It was a, a ceremonious crowning of the king, of the rightful king. And the guards guarded as Jehoiada had commanded, and 
when each guard was there, they were supposed to be where they were supposed to be, Jehoiada. At that moment when they were there, in place, Jehoiada, or Jehoiada brought out the king's son, uh, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony that is the law, and that is according to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18. Uh, the, the king of Israel is to always have the law, uh, his own copy. And so he had it. In fact, uh, I believe the king is to write the law. So imagine that. Someone who is uh, the leader of God's people, who is given that stewardship, is to have the law and know it. They proclaimed him king. They anointed him and honored Joash, saying, Long live the king. No one resisted. No one opposed what they were doing. Not a soul. Joash has moved swiftly into power in a movement that includes popular, religious, and military support. This movement embodied the best of Judah's sacred and secular institutions. They all came together. The removal of an evil, tyrannical ruler and the installation of an anointed, divinely appointed king was good. And those who agreed were on the right side. As this all comes together or unravels for Ataliah, it reveals that she had no real military or religious support. None whatsoever. Joash was received as king, crowned as king, anointed as king. He was praised as king. And finally, he was revered as their king when they declared and proclaimed, Long live the king. Isn't this the way in which we ought to deliberately and conscientiously respond to Jesus and his reign and rule in our own lives? It's the very same way. Verse 13 says, When Ataliah heard the noise of the guard and, the pe and of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to the custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Ataliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason, treason! Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, Bring her out. Between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house. And there she was put to death. So we know that this was not maybe the, the plans and everything was organized prior to. But this was no hush hush transfer of power. It was out in the open. Everyone was there and everyone was clapping and saying, long live the king. The shafar was sounding, people were shouting, and everyone was applauding, clapping their hands. It was loud. And of course, this got Ataliah's attention. She came to the house of the Lord. She got into a position where she saw exactly what was going on. She saw, she, she realized what was happening. And at that very moment, she tore her clothes and said, treason, treason. And no one came to her aid. For six years she reigned because everyone thought they had no options. They subjected themselves to the leadership of this wicked woman, thinking there, was, there were no options. There's nothing that we could do. 
And yet the Lord is faithful. And he had Joash hidden away for just the right moment. And the Lord, there's always hope. Do not lose heart. For in due season, if you do not give up, you will reap a reward. The key is, do not give up. Keep going. You know what needs to be built up is thicker skin and some tenacity, a backbone, some internal fortitude. Just simple faith and trust that God is with us. And he desires to show himself faithful and loyal on our behalf. May we be faithfully serving him and loyal to him, trusting in him. Well, she realized at that moment that her own grandson, and this was her own grandson, had escaped her murderous acts, and she tried to to utter one last word of deception. One last thing. Tearing her clothes, blasphemy, right? This This is treason. She yelled it out. She was dramatic. She expressed utter disgust. You know, there comes a time when those with evil intentions again are revealed. When everything is exposed and no one listens anymore, it doesn't matter how dramatic you are. It doesn't matter how loud you yell or what what even you say at that moment. You are revealed for who you are. And that's the end of the line. And this was Ataliah. It was the end of the line for her. This was an act of treason well placed to remove a wicked ruler who was tyrannical and ungodly. Jehoiada commanded that she not be killed in the house of the Lord, but be taken outside of it. And anyone who follows her, Put them to death too. That, that again goes back to, you know, who it is that we, that we kind of partner up with. You know, it, it matters. It, it really does matter. Who do we follow? Who, who are we with? Are we, are we, are we um, fellowshipping? Are we coming together with those who trust in the Lord? Or are we partnering up with the workers of evil? It matters. It really does matter. We need to be discerning. We need to be wise. Because even in this moment, Jehoiada said, hey, listen, she is to be put to death, and anyone who comes after her, put them to death also. They are of one mind. Her judgment was just, as she herself had murdered many, and it was also a smart move on Jehoiada's part because their swift action would discourage any thought or attempt to resist the transfer of power in her defense. So again, Jehoiada's mind, he was, he was still strategizing. He was still trying to figure out, trying to at the moment just discern what God was, was doing at that very moment. She was put to death at the horse's gate. Verse 17 says, And Jehoiada 
made a covenant between the Lord and the king and people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord. And he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the, on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Ataliah had been put to death with the sword at the king's house. Jeho- Jehoash, or Joash, the same person, was seven years old when he began to reign. Now, it's important to note that Jehoiada had established this covenant between, as it says there, the Lord and the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. The king and the people made a recommitment to worship the Lord by honoring and serving and obeying him. So there was a recommitment. So we know that recommitments are good when they're genuine, uh, when they're sincere, I remember looking back years ago to the time when I had myself turned my back on the Lord. It was up to me whether I made a recommitment to him. And it was on a summer day in 2002 at an evening service that I recommitted my life to the Lord. And from that day to this very day, I've never looked back. By God's grace, I have not looked back. I've not desired anything other than just to serve the Lord. And he has given me that heart. He has uh, forgiven me. He was, he's been just pouring his grace out upon me, and he's merciful. The people of God, they recommitted themselves to worshiping, to obeying, to serving the Lord. But there was also a commitment that was made between the king and the people. Meaning that there was a respect and an honor that was observed and respected between the two. You see, they both had an obligation to serve the Lord. But this obligation was demonstrated by serving each other in the manner that is righteous in the eyes of the Lord according to his word. In other words, the king was still the king and the priest was still the priest, and the captains were still the captains. And we can go on and on and on. They still served in the same capacity. But they all served in their respective positions and respected by respecting and serving one another to honor and glorify the Lord. The people also acted on destroying, putting down those things which were an abomination to the Lord, those things that were sinful acts of idolatry. By destroying the high places that were used to worship Baal, in, and this was in Jerusalem. Remember that Jehu had done that in Samaria. And now, Joash was doing the very same thing there in Jerusalem. But notice who did this. Uh, the people took it upon themselves to do this. Tore it down, destroyed all the high places in Samaria. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the sacred objects that were used to worship. And they put to death the priest of Baal. His name was Matan. 
And after Joash sat on the throne and Ataliah was put to death, he was brought into the palace. The people rejoiced and it says the, the city was quiet. In other words, the people were at peace. You know, when, when wickedness and evil is dealt with, this is what happens in our lives. It doesn't matter what's going on outside. It doesn't matter what's happening anywhere else. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter the situation or the circumstances that you find yourself in. When you deal with wickedness and evil, sin in your life, what happens is there's this peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your hearts and minds because you are abiding in Christ. You're just at peace. It's quiet. It's quiet. The people were at peace. I want to conclude with this. Just saying something about safety and freedom. Because as I said it earlier, God has always been about individual freedom. And with that, this is what he allows for. He allows for dangerous, destructive decisions to be made by an individual and for that individual to potentially deal with the consequences of those decisions. But also, with that, he gave each and every one of us the freedom to also choose what is right and to know the fruit of right decisions, right actions, up to and including salvation or in the former sense, to also deal with the conclusion of eternal damnation. The, the choice is ours. The offer is there. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. It's our own choice. One either lives under the reign of the one who leads us to destruction, or under the reign of the one who leads us to everlasting life and the glory of the Father. Jesus offers us salvation through him, whereas the devil offers something called compromise, which may sometimes look like real living. Like that's living. But ultimately ends with eternal condemnation in hell as we reject Jesus Christ in his offer of forgiveness and salvation, redemption. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Remember, Judah thought that they had no other option. For six years, as you sat under the reign of this wicked woman, we always have an option. We always have an option. We have the power to choose. Are you willing to follow through with that which is right and true? I want to encourage you to practice treason against evil. And instead, crown, receive, praise, and honor Jesus in your life by worshiping him as Lord and Savior. Recommit if need be. Or be encouraged to find strength by God's grace to continue living a life that brings him glory. It's one of the two. 
Or perhaps if you're here and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe today is the day of salvation. Today is the very day that you surrender your life to him completely. And he reigns in your life and you have the hope of heaven. And you know what it means to have a hope. To be satisfied and content with the fullness of salvation known in Jesus Christ. For we are saved by grace through faith, not by works lest any man should boast. It's, it's all by his grace through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, your word is life. Lord, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Lord, may we all acknowledge, may we all know, Lord, that there's no one greater than you. Lord, you, you do not force yourself upon us, Lord, but you offer yourself to us. Jesus is that indescribable gift. Lord, I know our sin will always find us out. It will always be revealed. If we don't confess it now, at some point, it's, it's going to wreak havoc on our lives. And so I ask, Lord, that you would forgive us of our sins, Lord, that you would help us to, to remain faithful to you, that we, we may honor and glorify you in our lives, that we may turn from those things that, that uh, Lord, bring you shame and run toward those things that honor you and bring you glory. Thank you that you made a way. Thank you that... His name is Jesus, and Lord, we've surrendered our lives to him. I pray that everyone here knows salvation through him. And if anyone is watching or, or anyone is in that place of, of compromise or never having surrendered their lives to Jesus, may today be the day of salvation. Father, I pray that you would convict them, that you would move them in their heart by your kindness, by your grace, and that they would cry out to you and know forgiveness, your grace, your mercy and know that intimate relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray.